for joining the podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for being on. Um, I'm really excited about this. Uh, we're going to be talking about, just for anyone listening, about aging and dementia. I think that aging in general is a topic that's really prevalent to all of us. You know, I think that that's the elephant in the room, uh, regardless of who you are, what culture you're in. Like, we're all, you know, in like probably subconsciously in some sense thinking about aging and death and all of these things. So I think it's a really great topic, really interesting and something that's applicable to everyone. Uh, before we we dive into it, though, just want you to maybe introduce yourself, uh, talk about like what you do for a living and, and how you got into it and why you got into it. Sure. Um, so I am a researcher and PhD candidate at the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health, and I am in the Department of Mental Health. And Broadly, my line of work focuses on mental health and aging, specifically modifiable risk factors for dementia. Um, right now, I'm really looking into sensory impairment and social isolation in the context of dementia. How I got into this line of work is um, I've always had a close relationship with the older adults in my family, specifically my grandma. Um, my grandma lived with our family since I was born, so I was able to spend a lot of time with her. And she recently passed away at 104 years old. So I was able to see the whole spectrum of joys and challenges of aging. And that's kind of what inspired me to get into this line of work. Awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, once again, you know, may she rest in peace. 104. That is, <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. Pretty awesome. <laughs> outstanding. Um, so you want to just walk us through... Uh, from a scientific frame, what dementia entails. I think all, everyone knows it from like a very high level. So like maybe just breaking it down for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So dementia specifically, if we're talking about a clinical definition, is cognitive impairment in at least two cognitive domains. So those domains are things like memory or attention or executive function. Um, and that this impairment in impacts functional ability. So your ability to live independently and to function in your day-to-day -day life. Um, dementia is associated with age, so it is most common among older adults. And like from a demographic standpoint, is there, are there any tendencies for it to be higher uh, within certain groups? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so definitely in older adults is strongly associated with age. Prevalence is also higher in women. And that could be, could be um, in part because of survival and that women live longer than men. So we have more women who are older in the population. Um, so naturally, there's just more people, more women with dementia in the population. Um, but also differences in risk factors between women and men can impact dementia risk as well. Um, there are also some racial ethnic disparities in dementia Specifically, African-Americans and Hispanics are at a higher risk for dementia. And that's not because of a biological difference. It's more because of higher prevalence of chronic conditions, um, things like social, social economic status, discrimination, stress that disproportionately impacts those populations. Right. Yeah, that, that, that makes total sense. And, you know, I remember when we, we spoke offline, you were talking about some of the things that can kind of help mitigate it in regards to just behavioral 
uh, things that that can be done to kind of, I guess, get your get the brain flowing and uh, functioning uh, so that it kind of hopefully uh, mitigates the 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 risk. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with dementia, there aren't any treatments right now, unfortunately. Um, so much of the focus has been on prevention and there are several strong risk factors for dementia. Um, right now, hearing loss is a very strong risk factor to dementia and some of other modifiable risk factors include like physical activity or social isolation, um, blood pressure maintenance. So Right now, a lot of the focus is on prevention and kind of managing these risk factors um, and using that to help reduce the risk of dementia, of developing dementia. Right. And like, what are your thoughts on, so I know there's like some innovative things that are being Mm -hmm. done uh, in in the field of, of, you know, brain work, like Neuralink with uh, Elon Musk, where they're looking to, you know, it's it's kind of cool, but also kind of fucking creepy. You know, they're trying (laughs) to like implant that thing in your brain and yeah. what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so you mentioned that, I think, in conversation a couple times, and I looked into it this morning. It's interesting. I mean, technology has done amazing things for improving quality of life for older adults, and I think this is maybe another example of how technology could be impacting health. Um, I I think maybe it is possible that this, I think he calls it a, a brain chip or something, Um could be something that could help with dementia symptoms or help reduce risk of dementia. Um, but right now it seems like they're in the very early stages. I think they've only tested it on a couple pigs or animals. And uh, so far the human trials haven't started yet. So I'd be curious to see, you know, as time goes on, what the effect is in humans. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, with that in particular, like it, it definitely, I feel like from that standpoint, it will be interesting to see like how it can help uh, mm-hmm. you know, skew that. But then I know that one of the the things of that is that they're they're looking beyond that of how not only will it be able to help with dementia, but also will kind of transcend uh, the way in which the, the brain functions and how we're able to communicate and maybe be able to communicate non-verbally. And like, which I, like, obviously yeah. we're light years like, uh, <laughs> like away from that, but I, I find that kind of terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I think there was one quote in that uh, he said that was something like, this is a start to merging humankind with artificial intelligence. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what to think about that. Um, but I think, yeah, it's it's definitely, you know, an interesting take on how to mitigate or prevent disease. Right. And, you know, I'm curious your thoughts on just the human brain and the human body since like you're you're so in the weeds of of really researching thing these things you know like I know that some people when it comes to the human body they say that the way that it functions is almost like a machine and how like the brain would be technically like I guess like the 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 CPU and then like the skeleton would be like the motherboard and that there's like definitely like some remnants and like similarities to like how we function in a computer kind of functions do do you think that you know with the the research that you're doing and everything like are there things that we can kind of learn by by applying that that metaphor you think um i mean sure i think the human body does function similarly to a computer that it is the brain is the control center that controls the rest of the body and 
integrates the inputs and the outputs together. Um, so I think definitely you could take some metaphors from, you know, what we know from technology and apply that to how we think about treatments or uh, ways to help people uh, with their health. Right. And, you know, I think, you know, what, like one of the things like while we're, while we're talking that's coming to mind is just, you know, some of the books that I read where like there's theories and uh, thoughts in regards to just where we're going to be like as we progress in the 21st mm-hmm. century and how a lot of people think that we're going to like, I think there was someone who said that right now there's someone who will alive who will uh, be live to, to be like a hundred and like 50 years old or like something insane like that. And yeah. how like, just the, the, the breakthroughs that are going to occur within the next couple of decades will mm-hmm. ensure that will, will come to fruition. So like with that being like being taken into, a, into account, what do you like from your perspective, like what are the things that can be done to just make it so that the quality of life, if you do live to be that old will be uh, sufficiently <laughs> on par to the point where it's, it's worth even living. That right. Long. Right. Yeah. And I was just going to say that, that while kind of on paper, it sounds cool to live to 150. I think there are also some social and structural aspects of our society that maybe aren't prepared for supporting a population to live that long and thinking about the healthcare system. Um, especially I think right now it's already, it's already kind of overwhelmed, um, with our aging generation. Um, also thinking about kind of family structure if you know if we're living to 150 does that mean we're going to be having children later or things like that um and also socially you know is it are you is it living to 150 being you know the the years from 100 to 150 are those where you're in good health that you can still engage in what you want to engage in or is it purely just you know existing and maybe the quality of life is not great for those 50 years and that's also a question of you know is that something desirable for someone no yeah if it is possible yeah yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. and you know like i think you know like you have to like you're saying like we have to take into account the like how how to like be able to like like ensure that these individuals are you know able to to be socially active uh, you know, I think one thing like, you know, having kids, like, you know, when you're going to have kids, the dynamic between like parents and kids, <laughs> it's like, if you're, you're a hundred and your kid is like, like 80, like it's, that, that would be interesting, but like, you know, and also mm-hmm. careers, you know, yep. like, I think you'd probably see people have to reinvent themselves at a, like more frequently than, than they probably do now. Like, if you're going to live to be 150, you'll probably go through at least like 10 mm-hmm. careers in that, right. in that time frame or something. So that would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. Think- and economically, I think it's also, you know, if we're going to keep retirement age the same and are we able to economically support this larger group of older adults with the same number of working age older adults in terms of social security and things like that. So economically, I think there are things to think about with you know, how can we support a lifespan, an average lifespan of that long in our society? Right. And I think that's actually a perfect segue to mm-hmm. like what, what we were discussing before offline in regards to boomers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you want to elaborate on, on your, your POV on that? 
<laughs> yeah, sure. I don't know if it's a POB, <laughs> but I, I think it's a fact yeah. that we have, you know, the baby boomer generation is getting to the 65 and older stage and that we are having this in this demographic shift where there are more older adults than younger adults in our society right now. And I think that similarly to our conversation on kind of a smaller scale has impacts for our healthcare system and that, you know, with age comes higher prevalence of chronic diseases, of dementia, of age-related disease. Um, so there is this burden on the healthcare system right now that we are you know, trying to support this large population of older adults or this group that is coming into the older adult stage. Um, and I think also for caregiving as well, you know, a lot of the caregiving for older adults falls on family members. And much of the cost of becoming older, a cost of dementia is not healthcare costs. It's in family, family caregiving, it's in social supports, it's more of those um, informal care, informal caregiving, informal costs. Um, so and I think that falls on really our generation of we're going to be having, like our generation is going to have you know, many older adults to be caregivers for. So I think that does have kind of this trickle down effect that, you know, having a large group of older adults also impacts, you know, generations, younger generations. No, yeah, absolutely. And I, I like the thing that's really interesting too, is that like, gen, like, and maybe this is just my my bias, but I feel like when you, when I think of the, the boomer generation, I, I generally think that they are more along the lines of on the conservative end. And like most people who are conservative are also fiscally conservative and are more in favor of trimming, you know, Medicare, Medicaid and social security. And ironically, that's the generation that's going to need that more than ever. And Yes, like definitely like with the influx of all of these these people aging and this po- population of old people growing so rapidly, it is going to going to have a bit of an impact on on us economically if we're uh, going to do what we, we need to do to like uh, ensure that they're they're taken care of. Mm-hmm. What like just knowing that, you know, and I, I think like this kind of has the, the topics kind of blend together because it's like, OK, you have the boomers who are who are aging and are going to have these these you know illnesses and these things that need to be accounted for and you know social security like where like there seems to always be the discussion of you know trimming it more and more and more by the time we get to the to a point where our generation is getting older and the the age exp- expectation hopefully is is like increasing like what is that going to look like like in regards to just our situation that that they're in what by the time that happens in like say like 40 50 60 years from now yeah yeah i mean it's hard to predict kind of what is going to happen you know at when our generation becomes into that 65 plus age but i will also say you know having this large boomer generation grow into the 65 and older is not all bad you know it's not all a burden to our generation I think (laughs) with with that with age you know also comes wisdom and I think we have all these older adults that have lived through a lot in their lives and have gained all this and you know if we think about the contract of wisdom it's kind of like expert knowledge and function in kind of life you know in the ins and outs of life and I think 
you know, older adults are also this like very valuable resource in terms of, I guess, anything, you know, any, we can really gain from, we can, our generation can really learn about from their experience. And I think having this large group of older adults, we can also benefit from, you know, their experience and what the knowledge they've gained over the years. And that can also help our generation and kind of moving forward as well. No, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when like you look at the world, there definitely seems to be a bit of a very different perspective on on old people and on just like the the past generations. Uh, and I feel like in, in the United States, in our country, I feel like they're they're definitely like in comparison to like the East, I think that there mm-hmm. is a bit of a disconnect between the generations and there 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 isn't that that like I, I think there is some respect but like it's definitely at a much lower level than like what you see in eastern cultures where like for instance in japan like like to be old is is like the, there's like towns where like you have old people who like people bring them them gifts and things and you know right. they they it's like something to be celebrated to be old like mm-hmm. do, like what are some like i'm just wondering like what what can be like do you think that from a cultural standpoint things should be done to kind of, I guess, mitigate that, that disconnect between the generations? Yeah. And I think, you know, coming from a Chinese culture and a Chinese family, but living in the United States, I do very much notice that different, that cultural difference in that our family structure is very centered around the older adults. And for a long time was my grandma was the matriarch of the family. Um, and, you know, our holidays were always centered around where she was living. We would always come to her and, you know, um, but I do see that difference in our culture versus, you know, some of the things I see, you know, in the media are also just personally um, in the United States. Um, and I think, you know, it is a cultural difference and I don't think there's, you know, you can't really say like what's right and what's wrong, but I think as, but older adults, you know, they have all this wisdom, as I mentioned. And as you get older, you do have this sense of generativity where you want to kind of give back to the gener- the younger generations and impart what you've learned um, to help the younger generations. And I think really maybe we aren't taking advantage of that resource enough. Um, yeah. And there yeah. are, you know, several interventions, um, one specifically called the Experience Corps, where they have older adults go into classrooms um, and, you know, act as almost like teacher's assistants where they spend time with the kids and they read them stories and talk to them. And I think it really helps both. It really, you know, gives the older adults kind of, you know, something to do and it gives them some meaning and, you know, kids always kind of can liven up uh, the spirits and it also provides the kids with kind of a mentor and they can learn something from the experience of um, these volunteers. So there are definitely, there are several programs like that, that have shown, you know, tremendous success um, in really helping kind of both the older adult and also the child. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And like, uh, I agree with you. Yes. Like there, there, there definitely is no like right or wrong, but I think that you know, in, like from my perspective, there's, a treasure trove of information that these people have. And it's, I think mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a waste to, to not just be able not to absorb all of that and really uh, get 
get all of that knowledge and and that you know those interactions when when you can because you mm-hmm. know life life is precious time is precious and you you should if if you have that opportunity take advantage of it uh it's interesting it's so funny i there always is something that happens right before i'm about to do a podcast or something <laughs> that that ends up being perfectly applicable so like right. uh one of my friends uh who like you know i haven't seen in, in ages because the pandemic like he always like sends me like these funny memes and stuff on instagram and the other day like he sent me a few funny ones but then he sent me one that was a bit more on like the sentimental serious end mm-hmm. and like it was a picture of this like a, a real picture of this this like old man i guess like hanging out with his his granddaughter and it's like they're out at a restaurant and she's just like absorbed with with the device that she's on mm-hmm. just not like paying attention to him or anything and like he's just sitting there like looking at her like you know like you could kind of tell he wants to talk to her and like I forgot what the caption was but basically like the point that the the picture was trying to make was you know that like you you really should take advantage of those moments that you you have with with the the ones that you love especially on the older side because mm-hmm. you know you, you never know um do you think that as as homo sapiens uh knowing just how we're social creatures and everything like is dementia like something that is more of a thing for our particular species or are there other animals who who are prone to it Mm -hmm. similar to us um I think how we think of dementia maybe that is specific to our species because we are the ones who kind of classified it but you know, dementia studies have, there are animal models of dementia and there are animal studies of cognitive impairment. Um, so I think we think of it more as kind of a behavioral aspect where, you know, we can visibly see that someone is performing worse on a memory test than they did before. Um, in animals, it's more of a biological study of looking at a brain scan and looking at changes in brain structure and function. Um, so I think, yeah, I think, you know, it's possible that, you know, brain changes and cognitive decline also occurs in animals, but I think how we, you know, clinically think about dementia is more in humans and more about, you know, cognitive impairment that impacts function and daily living. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And, you know, while we're on the topic of, of, you know, humans and and animals you know like one thing that like i've i've spoken about uh ad ad nauseum on this podcast (laughs) is how you know human beings like the thing that makes us so special is the fact that we can conceive of things that that's not actually there you know a company Mm -hmm. is is like the only way like the only way that a company exists is like in our collective belief that it it exists Mm -hmm. you know like right we're the only animals can that can manifest and think of things that like are not actually there which is why we were able to you know dominate the world as as we do Mm -hmm. do you think that like when you think of like you know belief systems and especially you know uh, people's faiths do you mm-hmm. like is there any correlation with that and you know cognitive and like you know uh, like avoiding and, and actually being able to mitigate cognitive decline mm-hmm. like like do those 
go hand in hand. In some yeah, there's capacity. definitely a large literature of kind of religiosity and cognition and also quality of life. And I think that really comes from, you know, what does having a faith, what does being religious, what does that provide you as a human? And a lot of it is, you know, community or social support. And I think with that, like with social support comes, you know, the sharing of information. Maybe you can easily get a ride to the doctor's office, um, you know, maybe lower risk of loneliness, um, which is also a strong risk factor for dementia, social isolation and loneliness. So I think, yes, there's definitely like a large literature on religiosity and cognition. Um, and I think it also, you know, just with physical health, um, with cognition, it's kind of, they call this like use it or lose it hypothesis, where the more engaged you are, uh, the more mentally active you are, you can kind of help preserve some of that cognition that way. Um, if you're not, you know, those neural connections kind of degrade if you're not using them. Um, so with religiosity, if you're going to a service every week and that you're engaging with the people there, you're engaging with the material that's being presented, I think a lot of that does contribute to, you know, maintaining cognition or possibly preventing dementia. Yeah. But I think uh, you can get at it from several aspects. It's, you know, the engagement, but also just the community, the social support, you know, the, that is just so important for quality of life as well. Yeah. And do you think that like during this pandemic, you know, like just knowing that, like, you know, like, is, has there been any uptick in regards to like cognitive decline and d- dementia, just knowing that like there mm. are probably situations where, you know, you have older right. people who may be alone and like they're trying to socially distance themselves mm-hmm. and all these things. Yeah. So there's definitely been an increase in like depression, loneliness, social isolation, um, changes in cognition. I don't know, actually, it might be too early to tell for that. I know there are some studies that are collecting data to start to look at that. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, with these other mental health risk factors that are also risk factors in themselves for dementia, I wouldn't be surprised if we do see changes in cognition, um, over this pandemic, which, you know, at first it was, you know, a couple of months, but after a whole year, I think, you know, you could see significant change in that amount of time. Um, so yeah, that's a good question, but I think definitely trends of other mental health outcomes have, have really been striking in that, especially, you know, dementia, social isolation. Yeah. Sorry, a depression, social isolation. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I think that, you know, we definitely, you know, prior to this took for granted, uh, the interactions that, that we would have with, with Mm -hmm. people in general from day to day. I know that, you know, like even just working from home and, you know, like it, it just changes the, the dynamic of the people that you're interacting with. Like it's, of course, it's, it's good to like get on calls and be able to like, to like Mm -hmm. see the person via video, but it's not the same. Like there's, there's something that's just really impactful about just being around people, collaborating, Mm -hmm. communicating, being able to just be in the same room and have that energy there that I think uh, in general, we, we definitely take for granted. Right. And I think this pandemic has disproportionately affected older adults from, you know, the, the virus itself, 
but also from the stay at home and from the physical distancing and that, you know, the way we are able to stay connected is through technology and back to your point about technology, but for older adults who, you know, maybe that was not their main way of staying connected. Maybe their main way was going to church or going to a senior center or gathering with friends. And when that's taken away and you have to make this major shift to using something like Zoom to keep in contact or text or to keep in contact with your friends, I think that is a big hurdle for many older adults to adapt to using a new form of technology that they're not used to. Um, So I think that, you know, this isolation has disproportionately also affected older adults in that sense. Yeah. But hopefully, you know, now that the vaccine seems to be uh, just rapidly Mm -hmm. uh, being distributed, it will kind of really help people to be able to see their loved ones uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. You know, it's, it's, it's insane. Yeah, I'm hopeful. Um, yeah, I'm hopeful. And, you know, going back to what you're saying, what we were talking about before in regards to, you know, old people and like just the 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 treasure trove of information that they have. Like when I think of an old person, I, I think that, that they're basically like a living, breathing, like historical artifact that, <laughs> you know, that, like you know, depending on how old they are, they can tell you about things that like just can blow your mind because... Yeah you know, when they were around, like the things that they're telling you about, like, it's just, it's like ancient, you know? And like, we're, Mm -hmm. especially the, the faster our society is accelerating, uh, in, in, as far as technology goes and everything, it it just makes it even more, uh, impactful to just have those, those, you know, interactions with someone, uh, Mm -hmm. who's older than you, you know, um, my, my girlfriend's, uh, grandpa, uh, uh, pop up Alan he he's turning 90 90 92 oh my gosh 92 years old That's and awesome. like you know the, there are conversations that we have with him where like he 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 was born like during the, the year of the great depression mm-hmm. he um you know he he talks about like how he uh like I, I don't know if, if it was like his his dad's friend or just like the neighbor but like there was a guy who basically uh was old like he he was born in the 1800 in the 1800s <laughs> who like like he yeah. knew and like th- this guy would would uh like he, he made money uh selling ice like oh, <laughs> big wow. blocks of ice and like he lived in a time where where horses were all over the place and like the the, the <laughs> just the, the the thought of a car would just blow his mind like right. you told him that there was this this big <laughs> hunk of, of metal that you could like with wheels that you could go places <laughs> he just like that 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 sounds that would sound like witchcraft yeah to him. Right, right you know so it's like being able to speak to someone who you know experienced that or like you know, the fact that, like, I remember I had a conversation with him, like, during Christmas time where he was saying that he remembered when, like, the television came out and how it was super tiny. It was, like, maybe, like, yeah. a 10-inch screen of that. And, like, there would be hundreds of people in the neighborhood who would all basically stand outside of, of like, that one, mm-hmm. the one house of the TV and watch a game. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's like, yeah, it's insane. Like, it's, it's so valuable, the things that you mm-hmm. can you can like learn and it's, it's almost like you're time traveling while, while talking to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's, you know, a lot to say about 
living in a certain time, you know, you gain a lot of experience and skills that maybe our generation isn't really, aren't really gaining because we have all these other resources. Um, so there is, you know, there is benefit in kind of talking to older adults and really learning about their experience. And from your vantage point, cause you know, I, I like, I, I think we, 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 we checked off a few of the the things of, you know, the positives of aging, mm-hmm. but like, yeah. like what, what are some things that you, you yourself, you'd say you're, you're excited yeah. about uh, with, with aging for you? Yeah. And I think, you know, aging is just the process of getting older. So we, we really are all aging. And I think right. even, yeah, even in, you know, my lifetime, it's been a joy to kind of just really, get a better sense of like who you are and what you enjoy and what's important to you. And I think when you get to that 65 and over age group, you really know like what's important to you, what you want to put your time into and what you want to put your focus towards. So I think that's, you know, a huge benefit of aging. Um, and older adults, especially it's, you know, if you're fortunate enough to retire, it's a time where you can kind of just do the things that interest you um, and really spend your time like that or um, also grandchildren. And, you know, if that is something that is in the family, you know, spending if time with grandchildren um, is also a benefit to aging. So I think there is a lot to look forward to um, in that phase of life. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also just seeing the cool shit that, that we come up with, like in that yeah. time is kind right, of cool. Right. Right. Cause it's like, you know, like maybe by the time we're like, you know, 70 or 80, it's like, we have freaking like flying cars and yeah. all these other things. And it's like, you know, like you, you may enjoy, like be able to enjoy it yourself like a little bit, but like you're, you're old. So like maybe right. not, like, to that extent. <laughs> but I, yeah. I think there's a sense of pride in being able to say like, well, when I was young, our cars didn't fly. They only drove on the road. <laughs> right everyone has has different views on this but i feel like generally you know within like the the main belief systems that that are that are held within most societies like it's always about the the next generation and really mm-hmm. in ensuring that you're you're setting them up for success like you're you're looking ahead of yourself you're not just looking at like you know right now you're not looking like a few years from now you're looking way, way ahead in the future of making the world a better place for the next generation, which, mm-hmm. you know, should always be the, the the motivator as a collective society, just to ensure that we're always doing what's best to, you know, prolong this crazy thing that we call life. Right. Yeah. And going back to that concept of generativity of, you know, giving back to the younger generations of imparting your knowledge, but also, you know, maybe leaving your mark on society. I think that is a hallmark of getting older as well. Absolutely. <laughs> Allison Wong, <laughs> this has been such a treat. There has to be a part two. Thank you so much <laughs> for, for joining the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was really, really fun. And it was great to talk to you about these things.